2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the PO forecast, episode 177, recording on the 15th of February 2023. I'm your host, Freddie Webb, and obviously, if you hear my voice first, you know that Hugh and Andy aren't here. Hugh is busy flogging chairs to people in Stockholm, and Andy is taking a trip to Scotland. He's currently in Edinburgh. Very nice and very lucky for some. But obviously, I've brought in proper guests and proper experts to help me out as we go through all the latest Pompey bits and bobs. The first is you've heard his voice many a time on Express FM and on this show as well, Mr. Jake Smith. How's it going?
1: Yeah, good evening. Yeah, doing good. Really pleased after after Tuesday's win. This could have been a completely diff- different conversation if that if that goal hadn't gone in. But uh, yeah, no, great. Looking forward to looking forward to Lincoln even more now.
2: <laughs> yeah, it does give the fans some something to hold on to. Maybe that result, which we'll go into yeah. later. And secondly, where I've brought in a proper reliable guest to the show who always comes in to save me whenever I have to, have to do uh, hosting. Mr. Geoff Taylor, how's it going, mate?
0: Yeah, hi, Freddie. Not too bad, thanks. I wouldn't say proper expert, I'd say I'm the guest here, but no, doing well. Uh, thanks for having me back on.
2: Oh, I know it's at all. Yeah, we need all the views we can get to go through these two games. So the running order for this episode is we're going to go through the 3-1 defeat to Plymouth, Argyle. goal. We are then going to go through yesterday's 1-0 win over Burton Albion at Fratton Park. And then we're going to go through some of the news bits and bobs. There's some injury news and potentially news on the new assistant manager. And then we'll go through your listener question. This week we've asked which fringe player you want to see play more of in the starting 11 for Pompey. Positions are all up for grabs. There's a lot to play for in terms of individual performances, even if the playoffs seem quite far away. And then finally, we will preview the away game at Cinsall Bank against Lincoln City. Now, the 3-1 defeat to Plymouth. Many people saw it as the barometer for promotion. If If we get a positive result out of this game, there's a slight chance. We obviously didn't. For me, as a general point, who... So someone who went back over the game afterwards, because I follow completely bit the dust and the football league had to do a groveling apology on Twitter. It seemed similar to the Peterborough game, just for me, where he had a strong period where he we was second best, managed to get the goal back, looked fairly positive and then on and tried to push. But the difference was Plymouth managed to get to the goal at the end for the free one. Joff, as a small sum up, what did you think of Pompey's performance overall? Was the was the scoreline harsh for you, or was it just about right?
0: I mean, it's been it's indicative of how we haven't been able to finish chances. I think. I mean, we'll come on not to come on to it later, but you know, it took us to to added time to get a goal against Burton. And you know, you can put as much pressure on the box as you want, but if you can't finish your chances, then yeah, it's it's not good enough. I mean, it was a perfectly reasonable performance against top of the league, but you know, the way we're pushing for a goal at two one, and then it comes through with a goal on the counter at the end, then. You know, it's unlucky, but Plymouth deserved winners, win, as I'd say. But, you know, not a bad show against top of the league.
2: There are a couple of chances before Plymouth's first goal. Callum Wright managed to get into the penalty area and had a decent chance 1-on-1 when Ryan Hardy was put through after a, a Riley Taylor mistake. He squared it to Wright, Uli- Uli- Amy, big save. Tunnicliffe then, for Pompey, had a good through ball to Joe Morrell, but their keeper Callum Burton made himself big, forced him out wide. Then the cross wasn't there. And then we're going to go on to the Sam Cosgrove goal, which you'll remember, Jake. It was initially a poor clearance from Pompey for a blocked shot. Play was switched all the way to Mikel Miller, who managed to cut inside on the strong foot. Takes a reasonable shot, wicked deflection to a certain degree. Uli Amy gets the hand on it. Not strong enough, then falls to Cosgrove for pretty much the easy tap-in. How would you sum up that goal, do you think? was it? Were there any proper errors there or was it just a bit of a bit unlucky with the deflection leading to the save beforehand? What did you think?
1: Well, first of all, um, I think you've got to give... A lot of credit to, to Sam Crosgrove himself. He made himself an absolute nuisance, particularly in that first half at Plymouth on Saturday. He was all over the pitch. He was on the left. He was on the right. He was running through the channels in the middle. And, and neither one of that back four really knew where he was going to be from one minute to the next. And yeah, he, he probably deserved that goal. Um, It was an easy one and probably the easiest goal he'll score in his career. But as far as deserved goals go, that, that that's up there with... You know, one of them, when it actually comes down to the way it went in, it's lacklustre defending. It's not sharp enough from that back four. It's not executed quick enough on that right-hand side to just get the ball clear against second in the league at the time, Plymouth, our goal. They're a different animal at home. You just need to get the ball out of your area. That is bottom line, route one defending, get it gone. That's what Pompey failed to do. And look, I've seen a lot of criticism towards Josh Oluwemi for this. Now, I don't personally stand for it. The ball's gone through the legs of two different players. You mentioned there, it took a slight deflection as well. Josh Oluwemi still got something to it. Yes, it wasn't strong. (laughs) Yeah, it did fall straight to Sam Cosgrove four yards out. But this is a goalkeeper making only his second EFL appearance. He's 21 years of age. He's got such a lack of experience, but still high potential. He made some strong saves before that. He made some decent blocks one-on-one after that one as well. And, of course, on Tuesday night against Burton Albion, kept us in that game. He's a great shot stopper. He's got a lot to learn. He's been thrown in the deep end in the last few weeks. A, due to Josh Griffiths being recalled by West Bromwich Albion, thrown straight in at Bolton. Nothing you can really do to prepare for that game, bar for short notice. Same again at Plymouth on Saturday and Tuesday night. A late illness uh, from Matt Macy. I think he's a good shot-stopper. I think he's got a lot of potential and certainly a great backup for this team. But I don't pin the blame to him for that first goal. That, to me, lies to either Riley Towler, Sean Raggett. If you've got Sam Cosgrove chasing down, breathing down your neck to tap in for four yards out, my question is, where are
2: you? We'll move on to Joshua Amy later on after we've gone through both games because it's definitely one of the major talking points afterwards. We've seen Sam Crosgrove a lot before for Shrewsbury Town and in certain games we've seen him not do very much. But in this game, he was a completely different animal entirely, fitting in, like Jake said, in that proper Plymouth system all over the place. And the analytics backed up the easy goal with a 0.87 expected goals chance on that goal. Haven't seen many higher this season. And yeah, the back four, pretty much poor defending. That trend of the back four being under the cosh continued when Sam Crossgrove was allowed to cut on his right foot from the left by Sean Raggett. It was deflected again. Oluwemi makes a strong save. I think some of the criticism was potentially down to that weird distribution thing where he missed kicked it out for a corner if you remember in the second half. And I know that's a very obvious thing to see and point at, but he's mentioning Sam Raggett again. They gave a hospital ball pretty much into the centre midfield later on. Again, on the pressure mine, Plymouth did a very good go- job with the high press this game. Ball through to the midfield, and a flick on by Ryan Hardy, can't write one-on-one, and another great save by Odewey Amy. Always rate it when a keeper does his good one-on-one saves, so that you, you desperately need that to go far in this division. And the Plymouth front three, Joff, were constantly moving around, causing problems, and I think the most important thing was they were able to go beyond Pompey's midfield three and get in between that gap between the midfield and the back four, and I don't think he. Even though we'll come on to Sean Raggett's performance in a minute, even though we're singling him out slightly, I don't think the inter- I don't think anybody in Pompey's back four had a particularly good game this game. Do you?
0: No. Yeah. Uh, Deshaun Bernard's first game, great. Looked so comfortable on the ball this game. Yeah, not as good. Maybe it was the pressure of playing. Yeah, a far superior team. But yeah, Raggett wasn't great. There are a few errors which I yeah I guess we'll come on to talk about in a minute, but. No, Ogilvy hasn't been his usual self over the past few weeks. There's been, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a new back four. You've got Deshaun Bernard playing out of, you know, out of his favoured position. Some people argue that Ogilvy more of a centre back than a left back. I don't buy into that he's more of, you know, you're playing on the left of a back three or a left back in a, in a back four. But, you know, it's a relatively new centre back partnership and those combinations haven't really, yeah, well, didn't gel against Plymouth. No, not a good performance from our defenders at all yeah. against Plymouth,
2: and it was a, it was a real shame as well because Plymouth's squad had a lot of changes in it. So they were playing Mikhail Min, Miller at left wing back. They were also playing Edwards, I believe. Yes, Joe Edwards on the right wing back as well. Missing players like Barley Mumba. That front three for Plymouth caused a lot of problems, and that continued later into the second half with the goal from Finnazar. Raggett wins the ball fairly well, but then fails to keep it under control. The poor touch, uh you, you you're off mute, job Um I was just sighing. <laughs> <laughs> he was very he's so unhappy that he was just he forgot to mute himself in disgust. Yeah, the Finn goal. Like I said earlier, Raggett wins the ball initially, but then fails to keep it under control. Azaz basically just robbed him. I believe it was him who took the ball off Raggett there. Bit of sloppy defending under pressure. Nobody covered Raggett either afterwards. One on one, keeper no chance. and then uh, it it looked to slip away there a bit, Jake, didn't
1: it? No, look, at that point, you're 2-0 down to Plymouth. Like I said earlier on, before kick-off over second, ended up top top of the table with Sheffield Wednesday drawing two or Ipswich as well on that same day. So you're 2-0 down to the league leaders, who've got such an incredible record at home park. The crowd behind them, it looks to be very unlikely that Pompey were going to get any sort of thing back into that game. Again, Joff mentioned it previously. Uh, the, the similar sort of, um, out and we had at Peterborough, uh, the week before where we were 2-0 down, bought that goal back, um, with Rico Hackett. And it was exactly the same man yet again, Rico Hackett to bail us out, or almost bail us out once again at Plymouth. It only turned out to be a consolation. It was a great strike off the subs bench. And, and he, for me, has been one of the players since John Messino's come in but has really stood out. You know, that's easy to say, obviously, with those two goals, but. Yeah, just think under the new under the new gaffer, he's someone who I think could could really thrive in, in in the the setup that he's trying to put out. But we found a way back into the game. The sad thing is, like Peterborough, like at Plymouth, and to be fair, like on Tuesday night against Burton, which we'll come and talk about later, we're finding ourselves to be more of a second half team. We're not displaying the same levels of kind of intent or enthusiasm within the opening f- forty five minutes of games since the arrival of John Messino. I think that ultimately has cost us in, in big matches against Plymouth, Argyle and Peterborough. And you also look at it, well, maybe we're just being outclassed by teams that deservedly are in the top six or seven of the table. So like, I, I, I didn't take too much from a Plymouth defeat in, in the way of frustration or, or anger at the way we played. We can do a lot better. But at the end of the day, are we really sat here expecting to go to these grounds and pick up results? Probably not. We know this season is most likely dead and buried if we can put on half decent performances in periods against Plymouth and Peterborough come away from games like Barnsley, Fratton Park with a result as well there's potential to build on it in the summer so yeah if we, I'm taking a lot of positive somehow from the fact we've taken defeats away at both Peterborough and Plymouth but we've matched them in certain areas throughout periods of the game. I think that's a big building block for, for John Messina to head into you know the final 17 games of the season, now into next season.
2: It's not as if Pompey were strong starters under Danny Cowley either. I think if you remember a lot of games under his his tenure, the team was slow to get going. Most of the clear-cut chances were created in the second half. I think we always talked about in the stands at Fratton Park of Cowley shouting get the players at half-time. Whether that happened or not, we have no idea. But yeah, Rico Hackett. They took his goal really nicely. Corner came in. Bishop with a header back across. Hackett with a lovely finish. A 0.38 expected goals chance. He's he, he's impressively in this game an awful lot with his close control and his positioning off the ball has been very nice. Sometimes his vision isn't brilliant, and sometimes he can be quite slow to make the right pass, which has frustrated some people. But he seems to be an option that John Massino is using. Pompey then pushed for the winner. There was that chance which everybody lost their minds about with Dane Scarlett dribbling from the halfway line, getting in there, but then not playing it out to the left. to. I believe it was Paddy Lane who was in acres of space. Yep, there are shakes of the head from both of you. We don't need to talk any more about that. That was pretty much just a poor, poor bit of vision, a bit of selfish play, to be honest with you. But then it was Plymouth managed to make it 3-1, ended up with a good bit of link-up play from their midfield. Sam Crosgrove with a lovely football to Ryan Hardy, I thought, who then finished with a plomb. 3-1, and then another controversial moment happened in this game. I'll ask for both your thoughts on this. Marlon Pack basically just gesticulating at Joshua Louie Amy after the goal, even though it was a 1-1 on chance, even though from the video we saw that basically he wasn't tracking back the entire way. I think it would be a different matter if he did and made a last-ditch lunge or something, but he wasn't anywhere near the play. Geoff, are fans making too much of that video that came out afterwards? Should we be bothered by it? Or is it a case of actual poor captainship, do you think?
0: No, I don't think people were making too much of it. It's one of those things where, you're right, if he's tracked back and gone in for a challenge, then he's got every right to have a go at Amy for not saving it. But the fact that he's almost just kind of let the runner go and not make any visible effort to leg it back, in my eyes, you've got no right to criticise other people for not doing their jobs, and you know it's a one-on-one chance. You know they're hard to save. Ollie Amy's basically bailed us out a lot during that during that Plymouth game, and yeah, he's yeah. In my eyes, Pat's Pat's got no right to to be having a go at Ollie Amy there. Also, the I think it was Hackett who was standing up for Ollie Amy. having to go at Pack afterwards, saying I you know, don't know what's said, but you kind of can Tell by the body language, there was a that's not on where were you, you weren't tracking that kind of thing. So, yeah, fair play to hack it there.
2: Obviously, Pompey managed to bounce back with winning the next game, so it didn't seem like it was much of a fuss. Not a lot was made of, and there was no like dre- dressing room like fallouts from that, it was all kept in- kept inside. And some people I saw from the comments basically said that, well, since Mar- Marlon Pack lives and breathes Pompey, family supporters, it matters to him and that's why he potentially lashed out, because his standards arguably could be much higher than some of the other players who don't have that connection. What did you think, Jake, of the whole thing?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, first and foremost, I think Josh hit the nail on the head. Marlon Packer really hasn't got any sort of right to be screaming and berating Josh Oluimi when, in the first instance, it's Marlon Packer who's failed to chase the ball down, put in any real effort to try and prevent Ryan Hardy from bearing down on goal and putting Josh Halloween in that situation in the first place. And and to be quite fair, it's not as if Marlon Pack didn't see the ball coming. He watched it loop over him. It it almost looked as though he attempted to make a run, stopped, and then thought, I better go get it. It's not as if he's seen it last minute and thought, I'm too far behind now. I'm I'm never going to catch him. He was almost caught in two minds. He's made the wrong decision at the end of the day. And, and, you know, he, he's got himself to blame for that. Josh Holloway he's one-on-one with one of the best strikers in the division. As someone who I mentioned earlier, two appearances in the football league. Who's your money on? It's going to be Ryan Hardy. Nothing he can do about that. However, I can see where you're coming from, Freddie, in the fact that Marlon Pack, is a Pompey boy. He bleeds blue. Um, he was the acting captain at Plymouth on Saturday as well. He's got to show those, those leadership qualities. And um, I think when you're in a game situation, you can't help sometimes, but to let those emotions come out. And, and I do commend that from, from anyone. You know, we want to see that fight. We want to see that passion within the players that they actually give a damn. We want to see that they care. So from that aspect, I'm glad to see Marlon Pack do that. But it's for why he's done it, which, you know, he doesn't really have a leg to stand on. Rico Hackett, yet yeah, great to see him standing up for Joshua Oluwimi. I think in respect to, you know, not hearing anything since that, um, all kept in the dressing room. Perhaps they've had a, a debrief in the changing room, perhaps in the coach home as well. They've had a chat about it. They've let their feelings know. Rico Hackett, Josh Oluwimi, Marlon Pack. We don't know. But at the end of the day, I think it can only be a positive thing with nothing to come out from that. And to be fair, under the Danny Cowley reign in the 18 months we had him in charge, there was no murmurs or, or of any dressing room discontent between managers, players, coaches. If anything needed to be aired or said or, or perhaps bickered about, I'm sure there probably were situations where that happened. It was all kept in house and, and and resolved there and then. So yeah, look, I, I, I'm sure Marlon Pack will will watch that video after the game, and as a pro- professional he is with the experience he's got in the game, probably look back at it and go, ah, yeah, I, I made I made an error there.
2: Yeah, I think it seemed just as a heat of the moment thing, just from watching it back, and the fact that there was not really much of a lasting impact out of that game. Some of the analytics which were interesting: Pompey lost out on every single duel metric in this game. Plymouth had more successful duels in the air in defensive duels and on the ball. Pompey's Some of Pompey's passing stats for progressive passes and passes to the final third were better, but Plymouth were able to do a very good mixture of hitting on the counter-attack and pressing them as well. The expected goals showed that they had a higher quality of chances with 2.73 expected goals compared to 1.92 for that game. And they also managed to get more shots on target. 9 from 19 for Plymouth's case compared to 3 from 16 for Pompey, and that shows an awful lot there a lot of shots from Pompey where I've blocked or put wide, and it's continued that trend of the lack of creativity sometimes in Pompey, which has precipitated throughout, really. Now we're going to go on something a tiny bit more positive, the Burton Albion game. 1-0 in the end, made hard work of it. Being in the front end myself, it had a little bit of air of, not a game that fans had sort of given up on, but cared about less comparatively, compared to, say, Plymouth or Peterborough. It was a game where Pompey were favourites at home against the, against the low mid-table side, where really the expectation was the three points and anything less would be a failure. Pompey, again, started slowly, created very little in the second first half compared to the second. Burton put their boot in an awful lot. I thought, given credit where crevitch drew, the referee, Tim Robertson, had a very good game. I think it was one of the best referees to come out of to play at Fratton Park for a, lot, for a while. Now he was strong with his yellow cards. Joff, for you, why do you think Pompey sort of huffed and puffed a bit in the first half? Because really, until they let Joe Powell in with the free header at the back post where Udderwee made the strong save, Pompey created very little before and after that, really.
0: I think for me, it was a slight change in system. We've used, we've seen a 4-3-3 under Messina so far, but uh, last night looked... More like a four-two-three-one with Thompson and Morell It was holding with Lane, yeah, Lane ahead of them. Which, yeah, I think he's good in a central role. But new system, you know, it's you know four-two-three-one, four-three-three. You know, they're not too dissimilar, so you know you can easily adapt. But it's one of those things where players will still have to get used to it. And yeah, slight change in personnel as well. It was Hackett starting on the left rather than was it Jacobs who started on the left against Plymouth? Yeah, and so you know, slight change in personnel. You, it's always going to take a while to get going, um, especially under under a new manager and a new system. So that potentially as well, but we've seen it across the whole season. You know, a lot of shots, not a lot of shots on target from that. And as well, you know, the kind of quality of shot. I don't have, you know, the stats or the data on it, but the quality of shots we're taking is probably you know far less than other teams in and around us in this division. And so it's a mixture of things, I guess. But yeah, probably the change in system, will be the greatest contributor towards that.
2: Yeah, Pompey grew into the game, at least, with that change of system. Jake, what did you think of Paddy Lane playing centrally? I like the fact that Rico had a strong first half, one of the few players who did, on the left-hand side. I think I mentioned on previous episodes that I preferred him as a 10 due to his close-cut control and his passing. Do you think Lane managed to fit that role in the middle? Do you think that three behind Bishop was fluid enough where it didn't matter? Or do you think he was a bit out of place?
1: I wouldn't necessarily say it was out of place. In the same vein, I wouldn't necessarily sit here and say he set the world alight. Um, I think it was uh, it, it was an okay performance. Um, he, he was there. He he done his job. He looked promising in the sense that I, I think he needs perhaps one or two more games in that role to. To really show that he is, you know, if he is going to be played in a more central role, that that perhaps that is one of his preferred positions. Look, between now and the end of the season, John Vecino's got to not only try and get us as high up the table as as he can, but also experiment a little bit to try and see kind of where he's at in the summer and to see what kind of recruitment needs to take place. So yeah, if we can see Paddy Lane in a more central role, um, as we did on Tuesday night for the trip to Lincoln and perhaps the game after that as well, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that Paddy Lane put a foot wrong. Against Burton on Tuesday night, I think what was net what was more Pompey's downfall in front of goal was just the end product. We we spoke and we criticised Pompey throughout the majority of his season and the lack of creativity, the lack of ideas going forward. I think Tuesday night was was a completely different story. We we created the chances, we gave the ball to Colby Bishop, who was holding the play up um, against that Burton back four. But they are a very big, a very strong unit. That Burton defence. There's a reason why they've gotten three, three wins in a row prior to Tuesday night's game. And I think Paddy Lane, as well as you know Rico Hackett, Colby Bishop, and and of course Dane Scarlett, Joe Pickett before the goal um, coming off the bench. There's a reason why they struggle to put the ball in the back of the net. They, they've they got a, a defence to, to 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 frighten any sort of forward line in, in this division. So yeah, the chances were there, the supply was there, um, but I, I just think it was down to on Tuesday night. A flat front park atmosphere for many reasons. Um, that, that's nothing against the fans. But there's there's so many understandable factors behind that. You've got the Eastern Road was was shut for roadworks before and after the game. You've got the fact that Pompey are at the moment statistically just a bang average League One club going through yet another transition. You understand why the atmosphere was a little bit flat. It took that moment in the game. You mentioned it there. Joshua Oluwemi's big save. In that second half to, to really spur that crowd on. Dino Marmrio getting the yellow card. Fratton Park kind of the floodlights. You get your fans on, um, on board behind you, um, with, with big moments like that, not necessarily a goal. And, um, yeah, in, in, inevitably it, it paid dividends with, with Dane Scarlett's strike. But in regards to, to Paddy Lane going forward, I think he's a player. We've seen him come off a bench to play on the left hand side and, and on both wings as well. But I think he's got a lot more to give him that central position. He's,
2: if he's given the time to do so. Pompey had to deal with a lot of physicality in this game. There were 22 fouls from Burton and four yellow cards. Dealt with that fairly well. Joe Rafferty coming back, thank God. His first game since September. He said in the news that basically that it, the the injury period was was and I quote the toughest part of his career and his life because of the just the repeated injuries of his of the hernia, then the surgery. He came out and linked the play really well going forward while being solid. Pompey relied on crossing a lot on this game with 34 crosses going into the box compared to their average of just over 16 per 90 minutes. Rafti's cross accuracy, 70% from his 10 crosses. Joff, what impact did Joe Rafti have on this game? I thought he was one of Pompey's better players.
0: Yeah, I think he brings that experienced head and solidity that Swanson doesn't have just yet I mean with more game time, Swanson will develop that. That's you know, yeah, that yeah. is the thing that comes with just playing more minutes and Swanson's, you know, right at the start of his professional career. But yeah, Rafferty is he's one of those players that's so composed on the ball. I mean I think it was I think it was the first home game of the season, nil nil against Lincoln where he played and you know, nil nil, not a great result for us, but Rafferty just looked so calm and I thought you know what? He's going to be solid this season. Yeah, unfortunately, he's been injured for a pretty long time. I can't remember when he first picked up that injury, but yeah, glad to see him back. It's going to be real competition between him and Swanson, for starting spot at right back. But yeah, he, he looks so assured, and you can tell that, you know, he's played in divisions higher than this. And yeah, 70% crossing accuracies. Pretty good. I mean, it's a small sample size, but...
2: Yeah, completely deserves his strong performance, really. what a major chance. Colby Bishop in the middle of the penalty area. Rico Hackett with the strong low, low cross. After Joe Morrell carried the ball forward, Bishop placed it over. Then there was another bit of a lull. The double pivot between Thompson and Morrell I thought was reasonable in terms of pressing the ball forward. Ryan, Ryan Tunnycliffe came on, and a small thing I noticed, I'm not completely into the bigging up of Tony Clef like many of the other people's are. But one pe- thing I noticed was the passes out wide from him were straight on the floor to feet. They weren't high up on the knee, so the wingers were able to control it a lot better. That was a major coup that I had the, the, his passes out wide were crisp. An old Porta player came back to nearly haunt obviously. Bishop did so well to get above the defender, rising above the centre-half from the Joe Rafferty cross. It was only a 0.15 expected goals chance, but... Made the most out of it. And then Craig McGilvery, big save Craig with the excellent save. Friend of the show, Gabe Sutton, laughed at me for suggesting Pompey should re-sign Craig McGilvery. But then he just proved why in that one moment. Jake, at that point with the big save, did you think it was just going to peter out to a nil-nil?
1: Yeah, you just think... At that stage, it's going to be one of those nights. What more can Pompey do? They were knocking on the door. They had the ideas. They were doing everything right, apart from putting the ball into the back of the net. You get that one chance. Colby Bishop, the man who's leading goal-scoring charts, 12 goals at the moment, free right. from a penalty spot. And, and bear in mind, the second top goal-scorer for Pompey this season, is Connor Ogilvy with four. Um, And Colby Bishop's got three times the amount of goals. If, if even he can't find the back of the net, and it takes Craig McGilfrey to put off what can only be described as... The save of a season from what I've seen in a live football match this season, at least. Yeah, it it, it just looks to be one of those nights where you come away frustrated, you pick apart where maybe things could be improved. But at the end of the day, you've been being held back and pegged back by Burton side. A, with the game plan, they've come down and executed it pretty well up until the goal. And uh, a moment of magic from Craig McGilvery. Look, we heard from... Your, your colleagues actually freddie reports of news. I believe it was, uh, Neil Allen who reported it a week or two back that, that Pompey in the, in the summer window will be looking to bring in a permanent goalkeeper rather than another loney. We've had Gavin Bazzunu, Josh Griffiths to name but a few over the last few years. And I think that is imperative. And it sounds bizarre and it sounds so naive of me to say, but it's imperative that we need a, a permanent goalkeeper to reestablish ourselves as promotion contenders. It seems like a given, but it's something we've not been. Treated to, um, in recent seasons. Look, we've had Craig mcgill at the club before. We know he's a brilliant shot stopper. We know he's got a fairly decent distribution to him as well. He's a solidly one well option. And if he's available in the summer, I say, why not? Matt Macy's been fantastic since he's coming, but we know that's only a loan from Luton Town. We can't determine whether, whether or not Luton in the summer want to keep or get rid of him to another team. But I think in my personal opinion, if Pompey are looking for a permanent option, for a man in between the sticks in the summer, you've got to go with either Matt Macy or if Craig McGilvery is continuing those performances we don't see it on a week-to-week basis, I'd be more than happy to see him back at Fratton Park.
2: Yeah, and he continues with the idea that, obviously, before he was put into a lot of games, Louis Amy was earmarked for a loan to League Two. That was the plan for ages if Griffiths continued. But Pompey weren't frustrated in the end. Last-minute goal, Dane Scarlett, Lovely assist by Joe Piggott as well. It was nice for him to again have an impact off the bench. I wish he got more minutes really, but it came on late. Conor Ogilvie with the cross, who I thought had a much better game against Plymouth, looked reassured going forward, put in some reasonable crosses. He had a 50% crossing accuracy from his crosses, which is again, reasonable. Straight onto Piggott's head, heads it across into the danger area, Dane Scarlett in a beautiful amount of space, superb finish, and I don't care that he didn't celebrate. I could not give a damn because the score was 1-0. A lot of people reading into that an awful lot, but Geoff, how important do you think it is for, for Dane Scarlett for the rest of the season to break that duck in front of goal and to look sort of accomplished in a wide area as well? He was He wasn't stranded out there. He was able to get forward and into space as well.
0: Yeah, he's, Messina is used him more, in more of a wide left role, which, you know, he's right footed. He can come in and cut in inside onto his right foot. can go either way, could sometimes give the ball maybe a bit quicker, cough, Plymouth. But I don't see anything wrong with playing him out wide there, especially if, you know, we're going to be playing a 4 3 3 or 4 2 3 1. He's got, yeah, he's a quick lad, decent first touch, and he's, you know, he can always invert and make it kind of a two up front. And yeah, he played on the two up front under under Cowley for the majority of the time. Cowley was here, but yeah, he looks he looks good, he doesn't look out of position at all. And if we're gonna you know, if we're gonna pursue four three three or four two three one, then yeah, he's a good rotation option. You know, my preferred player there would probably be Michael Jacobs, but Michael Jacobs isn't, you know, 180 minutes every week, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday type of player. He needs to be rotated. So You've got to have other options there.
2: So, yeah, I like him there. Yeah, Pompey Pompey's dominance, not dominance necessarily, but quality of play showed up in the analytics to an extent with 16 shots and 7 on target to com- to Burton's 4 with 2 on target. Crossing accuracy, Pompey had 44.12, which is very reasonable, above there, just over a third average, and with those 34 crosses as well. The stat that jumps out to me the most is Pompey's defensive dual rate, and for those who don't know, a defensive duel is when a player attempts to dis- dispossess an opposition player to stop an attack progressing. So a centre half tackling a striker who's dribbling, classic example. Pompey were ninety six point five five percent on defensive duels, and Joff is shocked by that stat. He's if you if if you saw the video, his face lit up there because Burton barely were able to do anything as soon as they got in the final third. Considering Pompey's defensive woes, Joff is that reassuring that stat? Or do you think it's just like a massive anomaly?
0: There could be an anomaly to the extent, but I think having those two holding midfielders rather than just the one probably helps. Thompson's more of a, you know, you'd play him in a kind of box-to-box role in a 4-3-3, but he's, you know, combative, as is Joe Morrell, and they both like to get stuck in. So it could be down to the system we played. But no, good, I mean, yeah, Burton were a physical side. We... Matched them to an extent, you know, we got stuck in, we weren't afraid, you know, people could argue that they were, you know, trying to be dirty and intimidate us, but I thought we, you know, we stood up well and yeah, we played well.
2: We had a very strong press as well with the 7.62 PPDA, lower the number, higher the press and the average is usually around eight for a high press. So they were properly on it, took Burton under the cost to a certain extent. If they create, if they had higher quality chances, the score might've been a bit higher but speaking of high-quality chances, since we've got two guests here, we're going to play my favourite game, because Andy's not here. I can actually play this. We're going to play, guess the XG. Jake looks very impressed and very excited, because he's never played this before. So I'm going to let you go first, Jake. What was Pompey's total expected goals in their 1-0 win against Burton, according to y Have a guess.
1: Um, Expected goals, it's... Not my forte, so I'll be saying something that's going to make you laugh, but I'll go for 2.5. Mr. Joff Taylor,
0: yeah, I could be really facetious and just say 2.49. I reckon it's around the two mark, so I'll go 2.06.
2: Joff didn't go with the few Bunce strategy, but he still is closer. Um, Pompous expected goals wasn't actually that high, according to Wise Scouts, it was 1.38. With the big chances, including the Burgess, he- uh, the Burgess header, the Bishop oh. header, the Bishop shot, which went over the bar, and of course the Dane Scarlet goal being the biggest one. I alluded to earlier, we we're going to chat about Josh Uluyemi's performances since he came in, whether he deserves the criticism he's getting or not. And another stat from Wisecutt came up, which I thought was worth sharing. There's a metric called prevented goals and what it does, it effectively counts the expected goals faced for a goalkeeper and roughly shows how many goals does he save or let in above expected, only counting shots on target so not counting shots at a bar. Joshua Amy in his three games conceded six goals from nineteen shots. His preventive goals metric is plus two point four four, which is relatively high in those three games. Shows what many people thought of. Many people looked to the print of the game and thought he bailed up Pompey a lot of times with those shots. And obviously the, co- the two key saves against Burton as well. Josh Griffiths didn't fare well in this metric at all. Jake, if, for example, Matt Macy's illness persists and Oluwemi had to start in goal for, let's say, an extended period of time, are you confident he'll be able to stand up for, the, for let's say, 10 games on the stretch?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, mean,
2: I think, you know, we,
1: we mentioned it a little bit earlier on in the discussion tonight, Josh Oluwemi, and the fact that in the two or three games we've seen him in mean, so far, Okay, look, Bolton, Plymouth as well, he's conceded three goals. A lot of that's not down to necessarily the way he's performed in in, in goal, but it's more to the fact of how his his back line have let him down. But he's made, as you mentioned with that stat there, some incredible saves in in an otherwise different circumstance. Probably would have rescued Pompey a, a lot more points than they've actually surrendered in the last few matches. So I think any player of any position notably a goalkeeper. The only way they can get better is with games, uh, with experience. We had the same sort of predicament with with Alex Bass um, for many, many, many seasons. Always a capable backup. Always happy to see Alex Bass fill in for pff, David Ford, Luke McGee, Craig McGilvery. But was he good enough to sit there at the start of a season and go, yeah, Alex Bass is our number one for the campaign to try and get us out of his division? Mm, I'm, I'm not, not so confident. Uh, and that's the difficulty as being a goalkeeper. You need game time on a consistent basis. And if Josh Oluwemi is going to continue to be our backup for the next X amount of seasons and, and only play two or three games a season at best... He's not going to improve. It doesn't matter how much training he gets, how much advice he gets from fellow goalkeepers. He needs game time. If this season we see Josh Oluwamy fill in, I think that's probably the perfect chance for him to do that. This season, as I mentioned earlier, whilst there's still a chance at the end of the day, we all know how this is going to end. If we can stick Josh Hawini in, if need be, uh, and get him that game time experience and build him for next season, decide in the summer whether to ship him out alone or, or keep him as of that backup, more than happy to do so. He will only grow with games.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And there are still doubts remaining about Matt Macy for the game against Lincoln City. It was reported in the news that the illness is still there. There are also injury doubts for Deshaun Bernard, a muscle injury, and Marlon Pack with persistent knee problem. They will be reassessed tomorrow. John Monsigno said those injuries aren't massive, they're not concerns, but those players still need to be reassessed at the time. Someone's injury that's a bit more prominent is Tom Lowry. Some news came out about him recently that he's been taking part in modified training and he's scheduled to start full training next week. Monsigno is very happy to see that and he said that he would fit really well into the system that he wants to play. But he added Pompey have to temper expectations for Lowry and can't expect him to come in and produce miracles, considering the length of time he's out. Joff, let's say Lowry's fit in two weeks. We know, obviously, Pompey have a lot of centre midfield options, and if you look on paper, all of them are actually, in their own right, quite good. Even in some games we've seen in the 4-3-3, the midfield three not having a lot of drive in it, not being right up there to support the wingers at times, which has stifled creativity. Do you expect fully fit Lowry to come straight back in? And if so, who do you think should partner him in either a midfield three in a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1? Who would be your picks? I think
0: given if everyone's fully fit, Tom Lowry would be uh, the first name on the team sheet in terms of central midfielders. I think he's that good. You saw in that 25-30 minute cameo he had against Hereford where... With him in the side, we just looked so much better. And, you know, at the start of the season, him and Pac looked great in a midfield too. In terms of positioning, he'd be in a 4-3-3. He'd be one of the two eights or box-to-box players. He's got that tenacity in defence, but also, you know, he can pick a pass really well. And his yeah, the way he can, I don't know. Yeah, play with his first touch is really good. In a similar way to Tunnicliffe, I've noticed as well, as of late. But who do you replace? You know, it's one of those things where if you're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, week in, week out, you're going to need rotation. And he's probably one of the ones you start every game if you can and, you know, you give 70, 75 minutes to. But I think my ideal three would be Morrell at the base of the midfield and then probably Thompson and Lowry as your two box-to-box players. Although, you know, you don't have much height in there, but our back four is massive, so that's fine.
2: What do you think, Jake? A similar question. If Lowry came back in, if you you would start him, who would you pair him up with? Or would you go for a completely different midfield three entirely?
1: I think with Tom Lowry, such a dilemma when a player comes back from injury, especially with how long he's been out much like with Joe Rafferty, um, you, you, don't want to throw him straight back in. If they're named on a team sheet for the first time in X amount of months, for this case, Tom Larry, I believe would be four months. You'd like to assume that they're eased back in, starting off the bench, making a you know, 10, 15 minute cameo towards the end of the game and build themselves up for the next one. Depending on the situation, you know, we saw with Joe Rafferty, um, taken to Plymouth, um, as the 19th man, not included on the bench, but had that valuable experience of being back within the match day squad. And then on Tuesday night against Burton, due to circumstances outside of his and and really the, the club's control with both Zach Sponson still out injured and and Deshaun Bernard fa- uh, failing a late fitness test, he had to come in. Uh, and that's the way that unfortunately squads work sometimes. And perhaps on, on the schedule of where Joe Rafferty would have been had these pieces not fallen into that sort of place, maybe he doesn't start on Tuesday. And I think that's a similar case for Tom Lowry. If he's back fit, he'll be included within the, the match day 18. Maybe brought on as a sub late on, and then eased in to start you know the next game or the next couple of games. But you can't deny it as a Pompey fan from what we've seen from Lowry in the, the opening half of the season, the quality he brings in midfield, the, the the chances he creates in front of goals. In front of goal, that is you know I- I- invaluable to to this team. And, and any any extra minute we can get and squeeze out of Tom Lowry, if a manager deems him fit enough to play, you've got to have him on the pitch where he fits within a midfield three i think joe morel is one of the first names on the team sheet at the moment if you've got joe morel and therefore tom lowry you need someone i think a bit more defensively stout a bit more of a more of a more of a unit in midfield not to say joe morel's not a unit because he absolutely is but a marlon pat kind of figure in behind you know lowry and morel and that would be my dream midfield three let's face it we've got a a massive pull um, and a quality pull of midfielders within this team when they're all fit. Louis Thompson, Jay Mingy as well. It, it's harsh on them for me to say they're not in my dream midfield three. But if all fit, that's
2: the way I go. Yeah, there's a bit, it's easy to it's a criticise this squad an awful lot considering the dreadful run that they went in, in on under Danny Cowley and some of the other problems but one of the positions they do have so much depth in is the centre midfield. You can pretty much go either way. And I know they've had creativity problems and maybe that's why they went with the 4-2-3-1 in the end. But I think having two midfielders in a 4-3-3 that can drive play, and then like with Drake said, one midfielder being more of a stabilising presence to sit in is the way forward, I think. I think for me personally, the ideal three off the top of my head would be that pack Morel and Lowry midfield free with Pat sitting in slightly deeper. But that doesn't mean I'm disappointed if I see Jay Mingy as one of the box-to-boxes or Ryan Toneycliffe as one of the box-to-boxes or Louis Thompson as either the box-to-box or the sitting defensive player. I think he can do a bit of both. So there's an awful lot of options there, which is reassuring, even though some other parts of the squad don't have that at present. There's been a lot of stuff about the appointment of the new assistant manager at Pompey. That is. Expected before Saturday. Both the Ports of News, Ports of News broke this first and BBC Radio Silent followed. Both reports that it was a former player, John Harley, is looking to be the assistant manager. If you recognize that name, he played for Pompey in the 2012 2013 season. And I, I have erased memory of that season entirely due to various reasons, but he played relatively well into that fact. He's the current under 23 assistant manager at Ch- Chelsea and has coached. In the Chelsea setup academy for pretty much a decade now, according to the news, it's been Zesh Raymond who has stepped up in the in the interim. But I suspect if a new assistant manager come in, Zesh will drop down to the academy, but will also have probably some input in the first team due to his figure and how he's basically impressed. He seems to have impressed to me as an outsider anyway. Jake John Harley, with the background that he has in coaching development football and looking at Pompey's transfer philosophy of trying to bring in younger players to develop do you think this seems like a good fit for you with the bonus that he knows the club a little bit
1: yeah potentially when it comes to decision making for the men in the dugout this season you know I'll hold my hands up and say that like many Pompey fans the John Messina appointment was was something I scratched my, I scratched my head at I'm not in, wasn't entirely confident when it was first announced but you, you've got to give the man time and see what he can do and I think that's that's relatively the same with, with John Harley. I I can't sit here personally and say that he comes to Fratton Park with a, a glittering coaching career and a, 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 an incredible CV when it comes to winning promotion for teams either as a manager or as an assistant manager, because he doesn't. But he's got He's got, as you mentioned, that that Buffabli knows the club, albeit a short stint at the club back in uh, the early 2010s. And uh, Buffabli's been coaching with the the Chelsea Under-21s over the last uh, year to 18 months or so. So uh, you're going to get someone in that role who is, you know, for the the nicer way of saying it, Freddie, someone who is perhaps less qualified to be a manager than than John Messina himself. If you're going to get someone in who's more qualified than John Messina, then, well, why are they not switching roles? um and and you know full credit to to John Messina I met him for the first time uh, at the game last night comes across as a very very honest very very decent man he's got his coaching badges he's certainly got the experience and the know-how and the the footballing brain that that Pompey needs to to head into his brave bold new direction of, of appointing this head coach under a sporting director role and I welcome it. I'm really happy to give him a chance and I really hope it leads, you know, great success, not just for the sake of being a Pompey fan, but for, for the want, for this new methodology to work out. And I think that, you know, the same goes for John Harley, you know, get someone in who's slightly younger. We've gone for backroom staff under Kenny Jackett with Joe Gallon, Danny Carley with, with Nicky Carley, albeit they're slightly, you know, they, considerably younger to, to Kenny and Joe, but they're ex- more experienced heads in the game. They've had these experiences with Lincoln City, with Huddersfield Town as well. That's got us nowhere. Why, why not bring in a fresh new team of, of faces like John Messina, like John Harley, who've got new ideas, new methods of working and, and they're slightly less experienced. We've seen it work with Ipswich, or it's, it's kind of working with Ipswich. It's definitely working with Plymouth Argyle. Darren Moore at Sheffield Wednesday. He's not he's not a veteran uh, in a dugout, so... I welcome it, and I do hope that you know that there's something there. And John Messina has clearly picked John Harley for a reason, and I fully trust him with that decision.
2: What are your your opinions, Geoff If it is indeed John Harley as the as the number two heading into Saturday?
0: Yeah, I mean he's been at the Chelsea Academy for ten years. I think we let him go in in the January of that season, I believe. Yeah, was playing. Semi pro football whilst doing his coaching badges. And yeah, he's got his pro license. He's, you know, been 10 years and kind of the in the coaching system at a, you know, very, very successful football club. So yeah, I think, I think it's a good appointment. Yeah, he can, you know, if he buys into the philosophy that, um, Hughes is trying to create here and that, you know, the type of football that Massino is wanting to play, then, you know, it, it's going to work. So yeah, I don't see why, don't see many negatives. They did say, I think the senior it himself that they're going to you know get a more experienced guy as the assistant, maybe someone who's never managed but has been an assistant manager their whole their whole career, but you know this is if it's John Harley, then great you give him a shot
2: I think the, the only couple of extra bits I'll add to that is I don't think John Harley would have been in the Chelsea Academy set up for ten years if he wasn't a solid coach and had a proven record to develop players because that's one of the major academies not only in the UK, but in the world, for Mm -hmm. developing players and sending them on. So, And if he didn't have those qualities, he probably wouldn't have been there for very long. It's very cut for football club in that manner. We're going to move on to this question, and it is, which of the fringe players at the club do you want to see in the side? One of the things fans will be looking at now, since playoffs is looking far out of reach, I'm not going to go as far as say it's impossible, but I think it's highly unlikely. um I think I said a few po- podcasts ago that the playoff hope is dead, others are more positive than me on that. but in these scenarios, it's the sort of time where fringe players in the squad, especially those who are running out of contract, want to make an impact and with the new manager and potentially changing of systems as well who gives more opportunities than ever. I'll open it to the floor first because quote to the listeners Jake. Out of the fringe players who arguably isn't starting as much, who do you want to see get given some game time or who deserves more game time from either the sub appearances or the couple of last appearances that they've made?
1: Yeah, I think, I think the obvious shout goes to perhaps to Rico Hacker. Um, you know, we mentioned it earlier in the show with the two goals he scored against Peterborough. Uh, and, and yeah, or well, with the two goals he scored recently at yeah, Peterborough and, and, and Plymouth Argyle. That's probably not an outsider shout. There's, there's many claiming that. Um, He should be the the man to to take that sort of role. The question then lies with, is he an outcast? Is he a fringe player in relation to the question you're asking? Probably not at the moment, um, because we've seen so much of him in the last few weeks. So he's not probably one of the first names on the team sheet for many Pompey fans when the whole squad is fit. But he deserves his chance, I think, more than anyone at the moment. The other shout is... Harry Jett, White, you know, when when was the last time we saw someone come through the academy and really make a name for themselves on a regular basis within the Pompey starting eleven on on a week to week basis in the league? <clears throat> probably off the top of my head, I can think of Ben Close, Jack Watmore, obviously for for many years, but in in terms of recent graduations and, and, and actual having a firm foothold in that team, probably Ben Close. So yeah, Harry Jett, White. <laughs> the other thing is, you know, we, we mentioned a few minutes ago, Freddie, that the midfield, when when fully fit, is one of Pompey's strongest areas at the moment. If if Jay Mingy can't get him a team because of Louis Thompson, Marlon Pack, Tom Lowry, Joe Morrell all being fit, how on earth does Harry Jewett White get into that? Yeah, in an ideal world, he does
2: for me. Geoff, what, what do you think? Which player is sort of going under the radar and impressing you?
0: Yeah, I was going to say Hackett as well. I think... He was definitely on the fringes under Cowley. And we said it about goalkeepers, but, you know, the same logic applies to outfield players as well. You know, you give them minutes in a system and, you know, they develop and become more comfortable and, yeah, and they grow grow into the player that they could be. You know, Hackett's not necessarily a youth player anymore. He's 24, 25, I think, but he's he looks good. And if you can nail down a starting position as a 10 or either side in the front three, then... I'd like to see more of him as well. Yeah, Jewett White, another player. It's a shame we don't have any uh, Papa John's EFL Trophy games left for him to get game time in because, you know, those games are perfect. But I said at the, at the end of last season when playoffs were mathematically impossible to get that I think it was Monoga uh, Mingyi, Lim Vincent and Jewett White. So why not? Why not play them? Just give them game time and see if they can cut it at this level. And if, you know, they look okay, but Not quite there yet. Send them out to League Two clubs. You know the following season. You know you can. There's a lot to learn if you. You know even if you can't make the playoffs. You know there's a lot to learn in terms of your whole squad. So I'm definitely for playing players who are you know on the fringes and could be breaking into the side in 18 months, two years time. Just you know, give it a go. Why not? That's as you know, as long as we're mathematically clear relegation as well.
2: Yeah, I think Rico Hackett is the obvious one. A lot of fans have brought up his name. One was Pompey Dazzler. He said, I think Rico is the biggest shout. He played well last night and could and should have had two goals since John Masino has come in. I'd like to see Ronan Curtis have a decent run in this setup, but I like what Rico Hackett is doing at the moment. Could provide decent competition. There's that name, Ronan Curtis. He's got the RC11 hair again, I've noticed. Jake, if he's fit with the ankle injury, do you think given the amount of changes that they've been in the left wing position and another fan Pompey SW said who is the most effective left winger going forward should Curtis's name be on the list because in the glimpses that we've seen him under John Massino he seems to have a bit of new life about him
1: yeah I mean Ronan Curtis on his day um, that 2018-19 season, Roman Curtis, proper hashtag RC11, um, with the 88 points in the league one, well, the link up with Jamal and the checker trade trophy win. That's the Rowan Curtis we all sort of fell in love with. And we were all sold when, when he was announced as a, as a, as a Pompey player. Um, since that season, he's had his flashes. He's had, uh, good spells of three or four matches where he's looked decent when he sort of peters out for a while he's never really been as consistent as he was that season we've not seen the rc11 in my opinion since the 2018-19 season on a consistent basis enough to be able to say you know he's one of our one of our top performers and he should be in that starting 11 for the majority of matches if he can bring that game back, if he can show that attitude, show that hunger that he has in his first season or two under Kenny Jacket, then there's no reason why he can't be a big player towards the end of the season, potentially next season as well. And it's not just his ability on the ball. It's his, it's his. It's his commitment to the team. It's this raw emotion that the Pompey fans can really get on board with. That's someone we need to carry us over the line over the next few months or so if we're going to try and salvage anything from this season. So, yeah, more than happy to see Roden back into the team. But we can't see this half-hearted, if things aren't going your way, walking around the pitch, dropping off if you're subbed off, you've got to raise your game. You've got to be good enough to play for this football club. And if you have off days, fair enough. If things aren't going your way, we can see that. We as fans can understand that. But we're also not, we're not stupid. We can see when you're not putting your effort in. We can see when you're getting frustrated for all the wrong reasons. We need that 2018-19 season. Ronan Curtis back or those you know, contracts up soon. Otherwise, how long, how long more do you give it?
2: Yeah, that's definitely a decision for the summer. I think this season, it's been one of probably the biggest struggle. He didn't have the best of seasons last season, but he definitely showed some flashes. I wouldn't say he was poor in that season by any manner of means, but it was slightly more inconsistent than usual. Listener Dan Warren Holland also mentioned Ronan Curtis, but he mentioned some other names as well. He references Jay Mingy and says his direct running will fit well into the system. He also said that Rico's doing well with the opportunities he's been given. And if John Masiniak can light a fire under running Curtis, he could potentially get back to his best and have a run in the side. Joff, Mingy I think for me on paper, he at least fits into that eight role in the 4-3-3 if he comes in, surely, because that well, his, his driving forward, his ability to dribble certainly makes up for it. And if he doesn't have the, like the positional responsibility in a double pivot, it seems to fit, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think... It's a, it's a great shame that he's been unavailable since Massino's come in. Don't know what his expected return time on the injury was, but it was at that Spurs game where he was walking around with a knee brace, wasn't it? So been just over a month now, um, since he's been out, but yeah, he is, yeah, he is classic box to box number eight. One of those players where, you, you know, you can rely on him to drive forward, draw fouls. Yeah. His feet are so good and the way he can manipulate the ball, manipulate defenders and just go past them in the midfield is is really good and such a good option that we have when fit. So, yeah, I'd like to see him uh, hopefully return before the end of the season and, yeah, get some minutes under his belt because, yeah, he's, if you can put a consistent run of games together, then, yeah, he's a class act in this division. Yeah, his
2: contract is up in the summer and I would be shocked if he's not given an extension. I'd be massively shocked because most of that centre midfielder option Jack Hancock from Hancock Analysis came up and gave the rogue shout of Har- Harry Jewitt White, which we mentioned, and said he should play when it is mathematically impossible for Pompey to get into the playoffs. I think it depends. I think there's so many centre midfielders there that you might want to try and figure out which partnerships work for next season. I think that goes against Jewitt White a little bit, and also if Mingy's fit, would you want to give those mi- minutes to Mingy instead? Who has been in and around the first team? I think it's a major hurdle for Duke White to go into. It might even be the case of sending him out on loan purely because of just the amount of competition that's in front of him. He's probably Pompey's biggest prospect at this point in terms of raw quality alone. But I think the competition there is slightly too much for me personally. Hollywood's also messaged in and he said, depending on the issue, on the opposition, there are games. Denver Hume could be a factor. He's more effective going forward than Connor Ogilvy. He also added that Rico Hackett has played well recently and deserves his run of games and that Jamie McGee would fit into the formation as well. I think personally Denver Hume's too much of a wing-back to fit in a back four. I think we've all fought that for a long time. Joff, do you see Messino giving minutes to Denver Hume? And if not, do you think his opportunities at Pompey are pretty much done? Because I like him going forward sometimes but he's just not defensively stable in the back four for me. at any rate. Yeah, I
0: agree with you. I think if we ever decide to play three at the back, then he's ideal for that left wing back position because I really like uh, Ogilvy as a left centre back. I think he excels there, but we're not playing three at the back. And I think Hume came on for Curtis against Sacramento when he got injured. And, you know, I can see him getting minutes coming on on left midfield if we're defending a lease, you know, to add that kind of Bit more solidity than you than you get you know when you're playing someone like Curtis or Jacobs or Hackett on the left, but no, I don't I don't see him starting unless we get you know serious serious injury to Ogilvy or Towler, who who's a left-footed player who could slot in at left back if really needed. So I don't see where the minutes are coming from really.
2: Yep, I agree with you, Geoff. Actually, thank you very much for the listeners who messaged in. That's very kind. We usually do. Around the time of the recording, usually a couple of hours before, we usually get the message out there on Twitter. Hugh has access to the direct messages in the Instagram and the Twitter, which is why listener questions are a tiny bit shorter this week, but we'll keep definitely keep it as a regular fixture. Finally, Lincoln City away. Beforehand, Pompey's position on the table, currently 10th, 41 points in 29 games, 12 points in the playoffs, 13 points from 21st, which is the highest relegation spot. Lincoln currently 13th. With 38 points in 29 games. Look at the advanced data. Lincoln don't seem to be creating an awful lot in terms of high quality chances. Being third in the league for expected goals with 13, 31.77 according to Y Scout, and they've scored 29 of them. In the 31 goals they've conceded, the expected goals against is 39.4. They conceded a lot less than what they should have done if you're looking at those quality chances alone. Looking at the raw data, they're gettable. Some of the key players, by the looks of things, are really like Jack Diamond, who played for Sunderland with his six goals and three assists in forward. There's Ben Howells, their main striker, with seven goals. Regan Poole, solid centre-half. and new center midfielder Ethan Erhan, from St Mirren, who I really rate a proper box-to-box player. Drives play, links up with the strikers, a very handy player indeed. Jake, what are your opinions going into the Lincoln City game. Do you think for Pompey to have any clamour of promotion at all that they have to get three points in this game? And is it doable? I don't think
1: it's unless... (laughs) Look, I want to go out and win every game. Um And, and Lincoln City give them a position in the league. Yes, you, you look at that and say this is a game. Pompey must be willing if they're going to reinstate any belief for getting anywhere this season. Obviously, the top two looks far out of reach, but maybe a, uh, a nick into the top six by the end of the campaign could be doable. A win over Lincoln City is something that would be expected from that. However. You've mentioned quite a few names there um, as players to look out for. One of which, to add to that list, um Olamide uh, Sh- Sholipo, uh on loan from Queen's Park Rangers. He's played uh, three games now, scored his first goal for the club on Tuesday night in one-on draw with Derby County. They're unbeaten in five in the league. And they're also unbeaten at home in the league all season. So do I expect Pompey to go to Cinzel Bank and get a result? Absolutely not. They've won three... And drawn 11 of their 14 games if other teams can't beat him uh, on their own on their own turf what makes me think pompey are going to be able to do that given the campaign we've had on the balance of that you mentioned the fact that they are a team that you know are wasteful with their chances and and a very leaky back given pompey in front of goal the, the evidence from tuesday night and how hungry they were to to try and break down that burton defense and you know, we've seen against Plymouth Argyle and Peterborough the the no fear factor just to go at these really big teams, these strong sides, and and really have that confidence to to attack, 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 even if you, your backs are against the wall. Why can't we go to Lincoln and be that first team to beat them at Central Bank? There's every reason why we've got the ammunition to do that. I'm expecting it to be a tough game, and I think given all of that, all of those factors to to come into play, I'll I'd probably put your money on a draw. You know they they draw all of their games uh, uh, on home soil. We look decent. We we're not quite the side that are going to be um, feared by most teams in the league this season. But I think I think we'll nick like a one or maybe a two or I think there's goals in
2: this one. Joff, what is your score prediction? Game against Lincoln City and goal scorers,
0: please. Uh, we are going to win two one. I'm gonna go against. I'm gonna be positive. I I'm always usually pretty negative with these. Uh, so I'm gonna go against against. The usual, we're going to win 2-1. Who's going to score? Bishop's going to get one. And I think Hackett's going to score as well. Uh, For them, Pauly O'Connor, their centre-back, will score a header. Jake, very quickly, what
2: is your... Goal score
1: prediction. Yeah, I, I know I said it's very likely um, to be a draw given the all of those factors but if I'm going for a, a, a score prediction I'll go for a 1-0 Pompey win. The first team to beat Lincoln at Central Bank. I'll go for Rico Hackett Continue his goal scoring form and the fact that he's coming up against Lincoln one of the teams supposedly interested in in him in January. Yeah, 1-0
2: win. All the narrative in Jackson's yes. prediction there. I'm going to go quite boring with the 1-0 draw. I've been a bit negative and not going for wins recently. We'll see how it goes. Given Lincoln's home record, I will go for a Colby Bishop goal for Pompey and a Jack Diamond goal for Lincoln City. Thank you very much to Joff and Jake for coming on the show at rather short notice. We've had to organise this one fairly last minute with Hugh and Andy not being with us, but they will be back next week by the sounds of things. So everything will be going as well. So uh, thank you to both. Uh, You can find them both on Twitter, on the various platforms you can also find jake spiff on express fm on friday and i'll be on the football hour as well uh, if i don't end up doing three hours worth of overtime and that will be it thank you so much for listening and uh, until next time play out pompy you have been listening to the po forecast for
0: pompy news now available on soundcloud spotify and apple podcasts follow po forecast and pompy news now on twitter for more
2: information. And there is the full time whistle